Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. I was spending so much time on my weaknesses and actually neglecting my strengths. So that's great that you've got strengths. And, you know, I thought, okay, it's good. I'm good at those things. I don't need to spend time on them. Valerie Koo is a writer, artist and business owner based in Sydney. She's the CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the country's leading centre for writing courses, which has helped more than 75,000 students. And it's how I found Valerie, because I actually did one of her courses a couple of years ago. Valerie is also the owner of Story Art Studios, where she creates original art, sculptures and designs that are licensed all over the world on products such as stationery, wallpaper, fabric, upholstery, art prints and more. And trust me, they are stunning pieces. Valerie hosts two weekly podcasts, not just one, So You Want to Be a Writer and So You Want to Be a Photographer. She's an author of several books, including Power Stories, The Eight Stories You Must Tell to Build an Epic Business and So You Want to Be a Writer. She started her career in finance with PwC before transitioning into publishing and journalism, where she was deputy editor of Clio magazine and a writer for Fairfax for over 15 years. She founded the Australian Writers' Centre in 2005. Valerie is a winner of the Telstra Business Awards and was recently the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival for 2019 and 2020. The Lunar Festival is a 10-day event featuring artists, galleries and events all over the city. Valerie is one dynamic lady and... I've felt so lucky to get to sit here with you today over a cuppa and have a really good chat. So Valerie, it is so fabulous to have you here. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. My pleasure. How fun. It's lovely to sit face to face as well and be able to have a good old chat. <laughs> if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I think it would be that your genius is what comes naturally to you. There's a lot to unpack with that, but I think that that is at the core of it. Your genius is what comes naturally to you. And it sounds like it's stating the obvious, but often the obvious things are the things we don't heed or we don't necessarily listen to. So, yeah, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, and why is that a topic that you're really passionate about? I think that there's a number of reasons. And one of the reasons is that when we're growing up or, you know, as we go through life, we're often taught that, okay, look at your strengths and your weaknesses. And if you're deficient in something or if you're suboptimal in a particular area, work on it. And logically that makes sense, right? <laughs> because you think, okay, well, I'm not great at maths. I should get maths coaching. Or even when you have your performance reviews at work, you're kind of told the areas that you need improvement on and then you spend all this time 
improving them, whether that's taking courses or upskilling and getting training, all that sort of thing. Now, that does make sense to a certain degree, but what I realized a while ago that I was doing is that I was spending so much time on my weaknesses and actually neglecting my strengths. So that's great that you've got strengths. And, you know, I thought, okay, it's good. I'm good at those things. I don't need to spend time on them. So instead I thought, oh, well, I don't know the tax act. I should study the tax act. (laughs) Or I'm not great at pivot tables in Excel. I should master pivot tables in Excel or whatever it is, you know, maybe. It's clearly you've come from a finance background (laughs) with those being your topics. I mean, people know you as an artist and a writer now. So the fact that you have come from that background, that's gorgeous. But it was also other things. It was like, you know, I'm not great at this language that I want to be great at. You know, I wanted to learn French. I wasn't great at French. Spend my days conjugating verbs. It was ridiculous. And it was, I wasn't great at piano. I wasn't one of those people who could hear a tune and then sit down and then play it. You know, I was always in and still am in awe of those people. So it's like, oh, well, practice for hours on the piano till you can do eighth grade or whatever it is. So it was in every aspect of life that I spent so much time on my weaknesses and completely neglected my strengths. What did that? lead to then because you know there's an element there that you would imagine you feel like unworthy and you're not particularly great at stuff and so there's always this undercurrent like almost in your gut and your heart that you're like oh I'm you know not getting better at piano or I'm not great at the tax stuff I mean that's interesting in terms of actually always doing those things isn't it yeah it wasn't so much a feeling of that sort it was more like a metric Because these things can be measured. You have grades in piano. You know whether you can do a pivot table or not, right? (laughs) And so you just thought, oh, well, I can't do that and therefore I need to be able to do that. Whereas this other thing I can do and therefore I don't need to spend time on it. When really I should have been thinking this other thing that I can do and love, I should be doing it maybe more efficiently or or just doing it better or just doing it because I enjoy it or that I'm good at it, you know? So it took me a while to kind of figure out that I was going about things the wrong way and that what often happens when you do things in the way that I was doing, you end up doing the things that you are good at, but not necessarily the things that A, come naturally to you, B, often you're passionate about and C, that you love and enjoy and it's just easy for you. So it's like I spent a lot of my life choosing the hard way to go about things. And it's kind of the penny dropped one day when I realized, why don't I spend more time doing the easier things? Because A, they're easier and B, I can get further much quicker. So it's a bit crazy because like, as you mentioned, I'm an artist now, you know, but I started life off in the world of accounting right? and I worked in a chartered accounting firms and all of that before I got to where I am today. But I think that also stems from the fact that when I was at school, art did come easy to me. So I thought, oh, well, that's an easy subject. And this is completely incorrect. I was so wrong with this, but I, at the time, I was a child. So I thought, oh, well, that's an easy subject. That's for dumb people. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the hard subjects because they must be for smart people. Yeah, but no, it makes sense as a kid, especially going through that process. And I think also as an avid learner myself, I think we're quite similar in that regard. We like to challenge ourselves and, you know, like you've sort of talked about, you know, wanting to learn new things in life. And so similarly, like I would do that every year. I'd go, okay, there's some stuff this year that I've never learnt before. I want to do that. But I think, you, you know, you really touch on some beautiful points there around focusing more on this stuff. It might be stuff within the 
projects or the particular you know mediums that you love that you could do more of or learn something new mm. about it rather than something completely randomly different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also apart from that aspect, when you don't do the thing that comes naturally to you or not recognize the genius that comes naturally to you, you sometimes end up, as I touched on before, carving a path in the things that you are good at, but just because you've done them for so long. And they're they're not things that light your fire. They're not things that make you excited. And I find that a lot of people in their career paths end up in those roles just because they've climbed the ladder and that has naturally led to that role instead of truly asking themselves, what gets me excited and what would I do if money was no object? Absolutely nailed what I was kind of about to get into because it sounds, I mean, you and I've had a real career change. Both of us have kind of similar stories in terms of where we've gone to. You're a couple of years ahead of me. But, you know, I'm getting asked that. Like, how did I move from a corporate kind of, you know, full-fledged 80-hour weeks to now being a partial kind of artist ceramicist as well as doing some board stuff? And how did you navigate that? And someone said to me recently, oh, yeah, but it's easy because from a financial level it wasn't an issue. I'm like... Yeah, that's that. I'm really conscious in any, any business that I run that like the ceramics business, it was a big investment for me mm. to buy the equipment, but I worked out a budget of how much, you know, stuff I had to sell to pay off those initial costs yes. and was I prepared to do that even though it was a hobby to begin with. And so what would be your advice to people that are sitting listening and going, "Oh, you know, I really want to be a writer or I want to be a photographer or I, you know, want to be I don't know, like an accountant or I want to learn French or whatever. And how should they navigate it if, you know, they need to still do their day job from a financial aspect? Absolutely. First of all, I really live by the mantra, do what you love and the money will follow. Might not follow like tomorrow, but it will follow eventually because if you do what you love, you're going to be good at it or you're certainly going to be good at it quicker than something that you don't love. And people will recognize that, especially if you approach it with passion and enthusiasm and the money will follow, you will get rewarded. But I mean, of course, people have mortgages and people have financial obligations and all the rest of it. So I'm also a big fan of the stepped approach. And this is what I advise, you know, writers who I mentor and creatives. And it's very much you don't it's not like you quit your corporate job one day (laughs) and go cold turkey. I mean, you can if you want, but that's probably not the wisest thing if you do have a mortgage. So it's not like you quit one day and suddenly don't do anything and suddenly become an artist. I very much think of okay, you may have been doing five days a week or whatever in your corporate job, we'll cut it down to four and do one day of your passion project. And over time, you cut it down to three and over time, you cut it down to two. So, I mean, that's just a rough idea. There might be some variations in those numbers. Yeah, and I think also that, you know, for most of us that have always had side hustles, there's hours out of work. Like, you you know, time at home when you get back from your day job, like you start to kind of, you know, come up with concepts and weekends. And that's part of the dream of working on stuff that you adore and are passionate about. And then you start to see, you know, that, oh, wow, actually, I'm quite good at this. And it gives you the confidence, I think, then to potentially go and, you know, negotiate with your boss to go down to three days or four days or whatever. Yes, that's right. And I think also once you've determined that I'm really passionate about something, I think I would actually like to earn money from this because you don't, not everyone does. You might just want to do something purely out of love and that's fantastic. And you should definitely do that, especially while you're exploring. But once you're at that stage, you think this could be a thing, this could be, you know, income, 
then it's about making a plan. Isn't that what happened to you when you talk about something that you love? So you just started painting because people told you to get a hobby. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So you never really intended to sell your works right from the beginning. It's the same with me with pottery. I started to make my own dinner set and I still haven't made my own dinner set yet. Sorry to interrupt though, but I think that's a really interesting thing for, for people to know. Yeah, absolutely. When I first started getting into the world of art, it was purely fun. It was purely to get a hobby. It was not to sell stuff at all. But, you know, then people start asking whether they can buy it. They, you start getting commissions and you're still doing it for fun. You're not necessarily doing it for the money. That wasn't paying the mortgage at the time. But after a while of doing that, I realized this could be a thing. Once you reach that point, you do need to make a plan if you actually want to ensure that you have yeah, a business out of it. And that meant for me financial targets or, you know, basically KPIs that I wanted to set myself. Course accountant coming in, <laughs> the accountant smashing with the artist. I love it. <laughs> and the writer with the artist is fascinating. You're a fascinating human. It's lovely. It's wonderful. And I think when you set those metrics, you have more direction because you know you want to achieve them. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think, it, and it's wise to have a bit of an idea where you're kind of, as you know, sort of freeballing, I guess, at the early days, aren't you? Because you're not really sure where it could yeah. go. I found that having that structure has been nice just to sort of build my ceramics business around and sort of have a v- bit of a vision. And it's also helped me to ensure that I'm pricing my pieces correctly because otherwise in the early days, like people, my mates were asking and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what to price this sort of stuff. But then when you start yes. to have a plan and a budget yes. and you treat it as a business and then I started to talk to others about how they price and, you know, other kind of mentors and things and, you know, treated it, I treated it differently as well. Absolutely, yeah, that's so, so important. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. How do you find your genius? Like what are the sort of tips you would say if someone's sitting there going, I don't really know what I'm good at? Like One real clue is think about you loved doing it when you were 12 and think about what you spent your time on. And it might not be exactly that, you know, but it's probably related to that. And I remember when I was 12 was when I did art at school and I loved it and I did really well and I would spend my spare time doing art. But like I said, then this stuff came over me that I thought, oh, well, it's so easy that it's only for dumb people. It's a really stupid approach. And I realise now that that's what I was doing when I was 12. Mm, Amazing. So how do you navigate then like all the things you do these days? Because You've written several books. You're still the CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. You have two podcasts, which all this stuff will be in the show notes because it's all so amazing, all the different things you do. That's how I sort of found you and followed you over the years. And then your art, what it's called, Story... Story Art Art Studios, Studios. yeah. And what comes under that? Because it's quite a mix of different things, isn't it? Yeah, so it started off as painting, so original artwork, which I still do. But I'm really focused on licensing because I come from the world of writing and publishing, right? So I'm used to books. And when you write a book, you don't just write a book and someone buys it and you get paid once. You actually write a book and many people buy many copies and you get paid a royalty. So that made sense to me because of the amount of time that you spend researching and writing and editing a book. 
So I thought, well, the equivalent in the art world is licensing. So if you create a piece of artwork, so now I not no, this doesn't happen to every piece of artwork, but certain pieces of artwork, I create the original artwork, but then that image is licensed and that it may be licensed onto products or upholstery or wallpaper or fabric or greeting cards or quilts, that sort of thing. So yeah, under the umbrella, as you mentioned, is original art, but also licensing. And that could be the licensing of the original artwork, or it could be licensing of designs that I've made specifically for licensing. Yeah, amazing world. How does one kind of start in that? Do you have to find someone that wants your stuff, I guess, yeah, <laughs> I guess to begin with? A couple of different ways. So I've done two different avenues, and one is a direct approach. So approaching companies directly that you know create those sorts of products and that are likely to license, you know, designs from artists. That's one approach and I have got deals that way, but also through an agent. So somebody who's a licensing agent who actually specializes in representing artists, just like a literary agent would represent authors. And they have actually way more contacts than I would. And they, you know, they've gotten me deals with fabric companies in the US and greeting card companies in North America and in Australia as well. But they would actually have more contacts than me. And I've realized, I actually think I'd like all of my licensing to go through an agent. Fascinating stuff. I haven't heard of any about this. So it's interesting to learn about. Is that just for artists like in your sense that either illustrators or painters are there, you know, for other mediums as well, for anyone else, like well, photography, I guess it's imagery, isn't it? Yeah. So some agents specialize in particular types of art and some are a little bit broader. So you will have some licensing agents who will only do surface design, people who do in repeat patterns. There are some who will only do illustrators and there are some who might do illustrators but also fine artists. So it really depends. Interesting. Wow, there you go, learning lots of new stuff. So come back to around the genius part, as I said, we're identifying. What was it was the catalyst for you that really helped you to realise this? Because it's only been in the last a couple of years that you kind of made a shift is that right I'm trying to think about what was the light bulb moment but I think that it just dawned on me one day is this when you were working two full-time jobs you told me (laughs) (laughs) maybe you're like is this really what my life is about I think it dawned on me one day when I was you know striving to improve at all of these things that I wasn't great at that it made so much sense. It was just what I was just doing. I mean, it sounded counterintuitive, but it actually made so much sense to be spending the time on the things I was actually good at. Why? What? It was like, why, was, why wasn't I doing that? Yeah. There's a particular quiz, and I can't think of the name of it right now, but I'll remember it and put it in the show notes, where based on the similar theory of what you're talking about, but it's called your superpowers. Oh, yeah. And so you had to answer all this bunch of questions and what it came out, whether you were connectivity. I think mine was, yeah, the personable element, very big thinker. You know, all those sort of things in business sense out of, I think, 20 different types of skill sets or whatever that you you had. And they said focus on these top five under that same sort of theory. And it really shifted me from a corporate aspect in a very similar vein of what you're talking about, where I was like, okay, like I didn't think I was particularly good at that, but I'd always spend my time focusing on that particular point because I thought I had to be better. But that same premise where they're like, focus on these key things that are your superpowers and kind of forget about the rest and just dial them up. 
you know, and it really did make a difference in my kind of corporate day job as well. Exactly, exactly. It makes so much sense when you think about it. I don't know why it took me decades to figure it out. No, but I think people listening, they'll be like, oh, that actually makes sense. So it's uh, you're helping everyone massively, which is great. One of the quotes in an article that you wrote recently that I loved, and you said, I've learned that although you can do anything, you can't do everything at the same time. And I thought it was really, it's so pertinent. And so again, like you trying to do multiple things and this sort of helped you to identify actually, I want to just focus on the key things that give bring me joy, dial them up, you know, massively and look at the yeah. success you're having from it. Well, I was also delusional to an extent because I kind of think, okay, there aren't 48 hours in a day, but there are 24. And I kind of thought, well, why not use all 24 of them? Not thinking sleep is an important thing. So until about a year ago, I would use as much of the 24 hours as possible. People would say, oh, can you do that? Oh, can you do that by tomorrow? And I'd just go, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> were, were you always like this, like as a kid and stuff as well? Yeah, I just thought that there was 24 hours and I would sleep at 3 or 4 a.m. on a regular basis. But then last year when COVID happened, I discovered sleep <laughs> because lots of things slowed down. And, and I discovered sleep and I just realized this is, sleep's the best thing. I've got to do more of this. <laughs> so, um, so hopefully less delusional now. So out of all the things you do, because there are lots of things, what's your favorite? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. My favorite thing is the variety. My favorite thing is that I can be crafting words one minute and then putting paint on a canvas another minute and mentoring creatives another minute and talking to people about their businesses in, in another minute. Not quite another minute, but you know what I mean? I do like that variety. Do you not find though that you're a little bit like, well, that's back to the no sleep, 3am, <laughs> that you're all over, like how do you manage your time with that? Because, you know, it, it's like a, I've got a bit of a mirror going on here because it's <laughs> like I completely relate to everything you're talking about. It's fabulous. But it's, it's what, that's what makes it so much more interesting for me to hear how someone else does it so how do you navigate that stuff is it diaries you've got particular meetings and particular things that you have to do so that kind of manages that in terms of brain space I am a good switcher so I can switch from one thing to another the thing that I've had to adapt in order to be able to facilitate that is my environment so I needed to set things up so that I can quickly go from you know recording a podcast to sending off you know, an Adobe file to, to, to a printer, to whatever. So I work a lot on my environment. I just moved house, so I haven't completely figured that out in the new environment. But in my old place, I had set things up and I set my devices and computers up so I could literally kind of go from station to station and everything was set up. I didn't have to Pack open something anything. up and reset it up. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, if you've got the space. So how would you say then, because a lot of people can't do that, like the way you switch, I haven't heard that term, but that I'm the same. I can switch from things mm. to literally I'll be in the middle, I'll be on the wheel making something in pottery and then I've got to get off and go and do a board call and then I'll come back and then I'll do, you know, the podcast interviews or research on something. So it can really relate to that. But I think we are unusual, I would say. <laughs> so how do you get into a flow state though? Because like often you get into a really good flow state and it's especially with artistry. Yeah. So that is where the no sleep comes in because I found that I can really get into a flow state when the house is completely quiet no one's around, everyone's asleep and I can just paint and produce 
an incredible amount, but that does require, for me anyway, unfortunately, going to bed at, you know, in the wee hours. And I still do that from time to time when I've got something that is that is just hanging to come out. But like I said, I've discovered sleep now. So, <laughs> so I want to bring it then full circle. If somebody is listening to you and going, I want to do that, this is amazing. And I've got a bit of an idea about where my genius sits. Any kind of last words of wisdom to sort of help them to make that leap? And the other part I was thinking about is I know through my journey, I've had an incredibly supportive partner that has been on this journey and sort of he gives me a bit of shit about, mm, really, another project, another hobby. But he's seen how like it is like that, you know, how much fun I'm having and how good I am at it. And he's been incredibly supportive. And not everyone's going to have that, right? Because if you are shifting from a full paid job and working for someone else and then trying to dabble with a bit of a side hustle, what kind of words of you know advice would you have for people to navigate that? Definitely follow your creative curiosity. So whatever's inside you that's kind of niggling at you, even a tiny bit to say, oh, maybe you should try that. Just give it a go and don't overthink it. Like don't think it has to lead to the next big thing. Don't think that you have to run a business. Just always, always, always lean into your creative curiosity, that little spark that's making you wonder. And that wonder may just be, reading a book about it or reading an article about it or it might be doing a course or it might be just going with your girlfriend to see a art exhibition or whatever and like I said don't overthink it because if you do you're going to go but then that might lead to that it might not lead to that it might not lead to that I can't do that whatever just go and see what happens and then go to the next thing that kind of piques your interest and then go to the next thing and eventually if you lean into your curiosity you will end up where you're meant to be love that what a beautiful piece of advice to end with today that is just perfect and uh, makes me kind of think about a few things as well so thank you so much for chatting to me today you've given so many beautiful words of wisdom and uh, hopefully encourage a few people to take the plunge as well you're most welcome if you'd like to learn more about today's guest You'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of Wabi Sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.